Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Chris Hoy, and this is Sporting Misadventures. Alongside me is my co-host, Matt Magendi. And between us, we've got six Olympic gold medals, 11 world titles, and one under-13 school table tennis trophy. Each week, we'll be joined by a comedian to talk about their own sporting misadventures, good and bad. And we're delighted on week one to have David Earle, actor, writer, star, and creator of the amazing Brian and Charles. Hey. Hey, David. How are you? Hello. Good. How are you? Yeah, good. Very well. Do you know, we, we do the chat beforehand, a bit like you guys do on Chatterbix, you and Joe. Well, I hope and, not. And uh, when I listen to you, when I, when I listen to you guys saying, I'm nervous about, you know, Steve Davis or Les Dennis yeah. or whoever coming on. Yeah. I think, you can't be nervous, surely not. And we're feeling exactly the same thing now, Matt. How are you? Yeah. yeah well, it's our, it's our first one. You're our first guest. You are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. We were oh, just thanks. chatting, David, about Brian and Charles. I see the poster in the background. Absolutely. I know. I said to Charles, do that is. Better, better product placement. Come on. It's, you've got two big fans here. Yeah, but that's embarrassing. It's like... No, it's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I should have hung an Olympic medal on that bit there. I'll do, <laughs> yeah. I'll do that for the next one. Cool, yeah. Should do. So, yeah, listen, thank you so much for coming on. It's As you say, we're massive fans. Brian and Charles, what an amazing film. I mean, it, it, we're just chatting about it. Talking about how uh, you know how much we enjoyed it and how funny it was and how sad it was, how poignant, how it made you laugh, it made you cry. And and the one thing that I've I've said is it's difficult to explain it to people when you're telling them about this film they've got to watch and trying to say to them, they say what it's about. Then oh, it's about a guy who invents is a friend out of a washing machine and he's got a mannequin head. Yeah. And they, you can see them sort of going, oh right, oh yeah, 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 yeah maybe I'll watch that. <laughs> maybe not. But every single person <laughs> I recommend it to. Has come back and gone. Oh my god, that was incredible! Oh, what's, what's, really? what's, it, what's it been like? What's the response been like for you? I mean, obviously, it's been it's been massively successful. But in terms of people's responses to you, uh, well, we uh, you know we, we always really liked the characters. That's why we put them, tried to put them on screen, and we just hoped that um, other people would like it because they always made us laugh when we did the comedy clubs. Couldn't have done it without your brother, Matt. Yeah, yeah. yeah but we loved them so much we just wanted to put them um sort of immortalize them on youtube and then move on to the next project and then just every step of the way people sort of really liked them and connected with them so it's been lovely yeah is there a scope for a brian and charles too the you know because well we have a little adventure at the end without spoiler alerts but um you know someone's off on their travels well there might be something Uh, around the corner there's nothing there's nothing confirmed yet, semi-confirmed, but there might be something around the corner. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I, I, I Who say does the that voice? As if people give a shit. Do people give a shit? <laughs> of course they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. we do. That's all that matters. Yeah. yeah, and both of our listeners do as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the uh, who, who does the voice for Charles? Because it's such a is it is it a Scottish? I can hear a slight Scottish twang well, to it's, it. It's um, voice simulation software, oh, which Matt's brother he does he does the voice so. No. Um, yeah, you knew that, didn't you? No, you didn't tell me that, Matt. No, I hadn't. I he doesn't. He, he's he's a pretty humble guy, actually. He doesn't uh, blow his. Is he really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so we would do it in comedy clubs, and Rupert would be at the back with his laptop. Chris would come on as Charles. I'd be chatting to the robot, and obviously Rupert would then have to reply through the software. So I'd go, "Oh, Charles, what are you up to?" And I'd have to wait for Rupert to go on the, on the keyboard. So there'd be like a pregnant pause for, and then sort of Rupert would be drinking quite a lot of wine. So by the end of the evening, he'd be, <laughs> would be slagging off the audience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't never knew that. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Because yeah, yeah, it, it did it start with a, a phone? Was it? Did Rupert phone in as? Yeah, yeah. So I did this little internet radio show that you know hardly anyone listened to, but I did it as Brian and Rupert would. He would call in and use this software. He'd use a few voices, I think, and then we kind of stuck on the Charles ones that made us laugh. So their relationship, Brian and Charles's relationship, started on this little internet radio show. So I would say, hello, Charles, thanks for ringing up. Yeah, and I have to wait 10 seconds for a reply. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that amazing? That's turned into a, a, a movie. And also, you've made the BAFTA long list I saw just recently. Yeah. Honestly, this isn't false modesty, but I go, <laughs> fuck, if I can do it, literally anyone can do it. <laughs> no, you are, you are yeah. very modest. I mean, I, I think I first uh, saw you on, it was on Extras as the kind of stalker crazed fan in the pub that comes up to yeah. Gervais's character yeah. and, and ever since then yeah it's whenever I see you popping up in any film or TV show it's just yeah you've, you've done you've done so well and it's and it's yeah it's amazing to to see and uh, you've got many many fans out there I know who uh, oh. who love to watch you thank you this is lovely I come on every week <laughs> <laughs> David yeah. the first time I saw you was when um, Rupert was I think he just started hosting comedy nights for the first time. So Rupert, my brother, who was the producer on Brian and Charles for our two yeah. seasons, um, and and he started doing and and you were on that as Brian Gittins, and it was yeah. the funniest thing I genuinely had ever seen. When you oh, came, you at the club? Yeah, at the club there, oh, wherever, right. wherever it was in Shepherd's Bush, I can't remember. Yeah. This, but you were you were so different to anything else I'd seen, and I, there was definitely some jaw drops from people who were like. <laughs> What, I know. This, it was so different. It was brilliant. And then I heard, though, on Chatterbix the other day, you were saying how you'll never do stand up again, which is a. I don't think so. I think it, I found it quite. Well, to be good at it, you've got to do it a lot. Right. And I think you've got to be in this habit of getting on stage and just. Yeah. And I haven't done it for years and I haven't got that drive to to do it now. I mean, I did a I did a gig, one of my last tour dates in Newcastle. It was one of the those gigs that went really well couldn't have gone any better and i came off stage and the promoter said oh that was good you must have enjoyed that i went yeah so i was sort of flatlined i was like i shouldn't be doing this now right it was neither here nor there i was, I was completely emotionless oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe get a, have a break from it and then come back to because i've never seen you live so and, you, know, oh, right. you, you owe it to me to, to make yeah. it come back at some point Okay. You know, so everybody else, just about me. Yeah. Uh, I remember going to a stand-up club in Tunbridge Wells. I hadn't done it before, and three or four acts went on. And I was I was just bored. I was like, God, you've got a stage there. You can do anything you want. And it just felt really so I thought when I gave it a go, I wanted to just do something that at least either angered people or made them laugh, <laughs> or at least there's some something in the room happening. It's quite yeah. a high risk. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> brilliant to see, but it must be so, it must be quite unpleasant in some ways to do all the oh. work. When I first started, I put, you probably don't get good at stand up for five years or half decent. So, those first two, three years, you're trying to do something a bit different in your head and you're not very good at it. And so, yeah, there's a lot of bad evenings for everyone involved. There's got to be a, a fair crossover between. Or similarities between being a comedian and being a sports person because you know you only ever see sports people once they've got to a certain level they've become yeah. professional they've, they've made it onto a certain level of performance but comedians the drive that you've got to have the commitment the hard work nobody really until you until i've heard comedians talking about it i didn't i had no idea just how much rejection yeah, how how the slog just just you've got to love it the grind just to get to that point where you then have the opportunity yeah, you're right. Because I look back now and those that first years, I'm like, God, what was driving me? Or what was, yeah. And I mean, a lot of it was, I, I, I couldn't do anything else. And I felt like that was my one route out of whatever my life was. So, do you, do you, you know, yeah. do you find that is there competition amongst yourselves as comedians? Is there competition with you, with yourself in terms of, you know, comedians obviously play it down and they, they make it look effortless, but you, there's got to be that drive within. And, and do you, do you compare yourselves to your contemporaries or to your friends that are starting at the same point and on your journey thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, he's he's getting these gigs and I'm not, or or the opposite? I think you can't help but you go, oh right, he's got oh, he's got a sitcom. How do you do 
why has he got a sitcom? So <laughs> I, I was at a gig with him. He wasn't that good. I did all right. So you can't help but go, oh, right, he's earning 30 grand doing that, is he? And, <laughs> you know, when you're feeling unhealthy about it all, you can't, yeah, you can't help but go, shit, how do I get what they've got? And will it? Will I be happy if I do that? And then you do it and you go, oh, I don't feel that much happier. So I need to do something. <laughs> yeah, I think there is a little bit. I just think you can't help. But there, there is no structure to to showbiz there's no end goal or like the stand-up circuit is literally just going around around the clubs there's no end to it all so it's it's all a bit confusing really yeah because chris yeah. mentioned the sporting comparison with the comedians which is my sort of segue into your 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 early days you were people ne- really neatly done them. matt neatly done Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> no, no one noticed the transition. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You, you were a pretty uh, handy sportsman, weren't you? Certainly a cricketer. I, I've got you down as a Sussex County junior player, but you look you look embarrassed. Or you're no, gonna... no, no. I'm just enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> what were your batsman, bowler, all rounder? What What did you do? Right. First, first off, I did play for Sussex, but I was never. I was on the. You know, if we did a tour of Jersey, it took a squad of fourteen, and I was sort of sub. And I think I played one of the three games. So I was never like the top five batsman in the county. So I was always on the bloody, never felt quite good enough. <laughs> um, so, but I was all right. I was okay. I played league cricket and yeah, but I was ne- I never felt like I was quite, yeah. And all the, all the players that I did play with, I think one or two made it to county, like professional standard and didn't really make a mark. I was looking at your age. The only one I could think of at that time was James Kirtley was Sussex and England. Yeah. Similar age. Was was he in your group then or was he not? I think he was a year year below, I think, James Kirtley. Well, uh, Christopher Martin Jenkins. Christopher Martin Jenkins, Robin Martin Jenkins, he was he was a year below, I right. think me. Uh, there's a guy called Mark Newell, Justin Bates, they made it, but you know, just didn't didn't leave their mark. Um, what was it what was it about cricket that, that you were drawn to because I as a Scot we don't actually get that much opportunity no. to play cricket it's not a big sport north of the no. border you know and in the summer you is you had the chance to play cricket it was either cricket or athletics um, yeah. and yeah I must admit I probably never played it other than in PE I think it was my dad my, my dad was really into it so I was into football he wasn't really my dad wasn't into football so much but I played a lot of football and a lot of cricket but I think it was my dad introduced me to it I just loved it yeah that's what it was I guess it's just and sort of seeing that, it sort of felt quite glamorous. <laughs> well, sport, just just professional sports, you're like, oh, man. I mean, whenever I meet professional sportsmen and women now, I'm just like, how do you, how have you done it? It doesn't make any sense. But it's funny, like, isn't it? Because a, a lot of athletes you speak to or professional sports people, it's it's been their dream and they've obviously done it since they were a kid. But yeah, a lot of them, and certainly myself, you, there's moments where you stop and pinch yourself and sort of look back because you're always focused on the next training session, the next yeah. competition, the next thing you're doing. You're you're always looking ahead, but occasionally you step back and, and look around and go, I can't believe that, you know, I've gone from being this little seven-year-old kid yeah. bikes to getting to do it for a living. You know, it's, I mean, it, it's absolutely... With a gold medal around your neck. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean, exactly. have you seen that interview, Johnny Wilkinson, where he talks about winning the World Cup? Don't, I don't know if I have it's... actually. He's just, it was the lowest point of his life, he said. <laughs> so, oh, yes. So, so I, I, he, had, he had that it, thing yeah. of, I've reached the top of the mountain and I've gone, oh, I've sort of been working all my life mm. to get here and I feel sort of underwhelmed by it all. How was it mm. for you when you got, when that gold medal went around your neck? It's disbelief, really. I think yeah. because you have to cope with the moment itself, to cope with that incredible pressure, so the yeah. first time I won a gold medal in the Olympics was in Athens in 2004. And the event, you were you were riding one by one by one and you had one shot and I was the last to go. So I had to sit and watch all my rivals post their times. So for me, oh the only God. way I could cope with that was just, you know, basically shutting out what was happening around me, focusing on myself. Yeah. And therefore, when you cross the line, it's it's almost like you're coming out from underground and suddenly taking in everything around you for the first time. Because... Yeah. You've been shutting it away, not letting it encroach on your mind and, and putting you off and realizing the magnitude of it all. And as soon as you start thinking about how much work's gone into this and the yeah. consequences of winning or losing, the fear of failure, it can just completely put you off. So so when you cross the line, it's it's just this shock of 
oh my god this is this has actually happened and and is it real it doesn't feel real and then you have this huge elation huge high and i guess for johnny it it must have come a lot sooner but for for me and for most athletes there's a time maybe the next day maybe the next week maybe a month later you have this massive anticlimax. you have this oh. come down after it oh and for me it was coming back to my flat and coming in and there's all the bills on the you know in your letterbox and yeah dirty washing that you'd left before you went out to Athens you've got to get that done and you know there's no food and there's a you know half a pint of stale milk in the fridge and yeah all oh, right back back to normal back to yeah, going, yeah, yeah. You know, doing the shopping doing the washing and yeah. nothing nothing has changed and and then the opposite for me as well when in, after Beijing where I the same thing happened and I assumed that it would just be the normal life of and I was ready for that returning to normal mm. and the opposite happened it was you know the team did so well we all got sort of shot into the public eye cycling was a you know became a front page sport for a while and then your life isn't your own and and it's dealing with that change so it's i mean for johnny he was you know he was literally propelled to the front pages for for many many months yeah. years after becoming the the hero of the world cup but yeah yeah it's 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 difficult and nobody really talks about that it's all about no. attaining that that high well i mean it's completely different but when we completed the movie and it came out and it got nice reviews and nice response. I suddenly thought, oh, I've been sort of aimed, not that I've ever wanted to make a movie, but it feels like a sort of a pinnacle in the to have achieved it. I definitely had it last year where I, I had a, oh, is that it? Mm. I had one of those moments. And yeah. And then you get, well, what's your next movie? What are you going to what, do? What's next? What, yeah. Well, I don't want to do another one. Why would I do that again? Yeah. People well, yeah, are, but you got to, you know, it's. Yeah. It's, it's always you know, like, I, don't want to. I just want to sit back and enjoy this moment. And it's like, well, you know what? I don't even thing? want to enjoy the moment. I just want to be with my family. I want to, because yeah. we yeah. went out to, you know, I'd, I was appreciative of the opportunities and the support. And I was just like, why would I go through all that again? <laughs> what, what am I hoping to? Yeah. So I had a really, yeah, funny old period at the end of last year. Yeah. But in terms of sport, what was your, I mean, it, it could be ahead of you, who knows, but what was your highlight of sport in your Oof. earlier years? There must be an um, that stands out or something like that, was it? Or... Ooh, now, that's a lovely question. <laughs> Do you know what? I got I've, I got 54 not out for Sussex one day. And the whole, wow. and the whole, the whole, the whole team failed. This is what it is. So it was that we were on tour. And we played, I think we played three matches and I, I was sub for the first two matches. And you're like, you're that, that vulnerable age where you're sort of 15, 16 and sort of comparing yourself to that's just a bit better. And and then in the third game, they, they I think they put me in to bat at five and uh, all, all the teams sort of failed around me and we got about 120 all out, but I got 54 now out. And You were the hero. I'm going to talk about this on a podcast in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, That I think that was the best sort of Did you raise your bat aloft in celebration when you hit the 50? Yeah, and everyone Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I think is funny is, like, I remember moments in my like childhood in playing rugby or doing BMX racing or whatever, and those moments, you, you imagine that that compared to you know, your ultimate dream of becoming an Olympic champion or whatever, you imagine that that's just this tiny little blip at the bottom and that the highs yeah. of becoming Olympic champion would be way, way greater. It's exactly the same feeling. I can imagine. You know, it's exactly I, the same feeling. Yeah. And, and in many ways, the ones, the, those experiences when you're younger and you're playing at school level or amateur level or on the way up, they mean more because it's it's so exciting because you've never experienced it before. It is the, the highest you've ever you know that is your reference point. You've you've nudged yeah. your the spectrum has moved up a bit yeah. by that one experience. And yeah, you know when I look back on my cycling career, some of the highlights were when I was eight, nine, ten years of age oh, in terms of the joy, the joy, and that that kind of elation. And and as you say, in in your mind's eye, there were thousands of folk all cheering your name. And you know, there might as well have been. There wasn't. It was just a brick wall all the right, way. All right yeah, but but it felt like that, didn't it? I mean, I, I guess yeah, it, it really know. did. I, I, you're right because I can't imagine it feeling any better. You know, if you got twenty five thousand mm. people, sort of, it was just in that little moment, sort of proving to yourself that I can, on my day, sort of compete at this level with the best. Yeah. I wonder that if batting is at all like being a stand up comedian because I find when I play cricket, I play indoor cricket 
every every week on a Wednesday with a misfiring team is probably the best way to put it. But it's yeah. incredibly well. It's a team sport. It's such a lonely place to be when you go out to bat. And I wonder if there's similarities to when you're going up on stage. Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, there is. I mean, yeah, I mean, on stage can be. I think that's why I put the the glasses on and the wig and just I had to just be this kind of. Although he was an idiot and a failed comedian. I had to sort of pretend to be this kind of superhero on stage. You can deal with all the, with all the crap that might come his way. So yeah, it was really lonely. And walking out to bat when you've got eleven opposing the, the, the opposing team around you, sort of slagging you off, and <laughs> they can do. Yeah, but I quite like forging a relationship with the your batsman at the other end. I always enjoyed that relationship and building in innings together and sort of fighting back yeah loved all that in terms of your um that was your sporting high hitting your 54 what, <laughs> what's, your, what's your sporting misadventure what's what is the what's your low point or most embarrassing story that you've experienced in sport crying crying in front of everyone oh no what sport was that in cricket? No, that was that was just, it was under twelves or under thirteens, and I went up for Sussex trials, and I didn't know anyone. I'd had some like six weeks of coaching up at Hove, and they went, "Oh, I think you're good enough to trial for Sussex." Am I? Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> oh, and uh, so then I walked in, <laughs> walked in this hall with maybe 40, 50 boys from different schools around Sussex. Didn't know anyone. They just seemed like they had, you know, like little mus- moustaches growing, little beards and nice pecs. And nice <laughs> thing. And then I went into bat and I had a bowl and then I went into bat and, you know, probably got out a few times and did all right. But I was just pulled aside and said, in front of everyone, I don't, I don't think you're quite ready for a... Uh, no? No, I don't uh, think. You've done ever so well. You've done ever so well. Oh no! <laughs> and so, what's worse is that about two weeks later, my dad got a call and said, uh, "Hello, this is uh, Sussex Cricket Club. We'd like to give David a game for Sussex this summer, if you'd like." So they sort of felt they sort of felt sorry for me because I, oh. I cried. And um, oh, it's... it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Oh, and, and you remember? Did you did you go and play the game? Oh yeah, I took the opportunity by the scruff of the neck. <laughs> Didn't bat, sort of fielded a deep square leg and went home. <laughs> but I think the sign that you're still playing cricket and you still enjoy it now. That's well, good... I ha- I'm not playing it. I haven't played for about four years because not my children. Yeah, I can't. I can't sort of justify spending time like six hours in a field while my boys are. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, it didn't damage me. Well, maybe it did damage <laughs> yeah. me. I mean, I'm talking about it now. It damaged me. <laughs> this is therapy. We're getting yeah. it. It's good. You, know. yeah. got, you, you do do cricket of a, of a sense, don't you? Because in lockdown, you got into... Well, tell the story how you got into gaming and a bit of Cricket 19 on the Xbox uh, or PlayStation or whatever. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I was at a loose end because we were writing a sitcom, me and Joe, and we just couldn't focus because of all the crap that was going on. And so I had to just... Yeah, give it all up for a few weeks or months. And I spoke to Ian Lee, the comedian presenter, and he said, "Oh, have you have you done Twitch? Have you tried Twitch to keep you occupied?" And I didn't know it. I, no, I'd seen it once, and I just it felt like an alien website. And um, so it's where you play computer games, and people watch you sort of donate money. <laughs> <laughs> It's really it's horrible, actually, when I'm talking about voice. <laughs> the more I talk about it. There's a name for people like you. Yeah, yeah what is it? It's like a bus. <laughs> but I, what, so I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. And um, I, I got a PlayStation. I hadn't played computer games for 20, 25 years. I got the cricket. I thought, this is unbelievable. Like how much it progressed from 1989. <laughs> so I played cricket and suddenly these people started watching, not a huge amount, like a hundred. But this, I thought, oh, I'll try and create this little community and they keep coming back. 
and the game was fun but it was more about creating a community and creating characters within the community and trying to create backstories and making it this little world for people to pop in and out of and then uh yeah we did a charity game on on cricket twin cricket 19 at the time like we had 1500 2000 people watching just wow <laughs> you're right <laughs> but um the guy who the ceo of big ant uh who made cricket 19 got in touch with me and said do you want to be in cricket 22 as the england manager uh yes yes please. wow so um well, this is really exciting so my wife had to take <laughs> like 150 photos because uh they were going to come over to london and do it because of covid couldn't so she had to take loads of photos send it over to them then they've created this yeah england manager out of all these yeah so immortalized in in a cricket video game yeah so if you get to if you do the career version on cricket 22 i walk in and go hello son you're right (laughs) that's so cool yeah yeah. you david earl england manager yeah david Earl, england manager and uh there you go yeah there you go tell that to your 12 year old self one day exactly. soon you'll be, be the England exactly. What's, yeah, the yeah. what's the likeness like? Have you got the have you got a picture of it or it's about seven stone lighter, <laughs> I think, <laughs> on the game. He looks very nice indeed as he as it goes. Yeah, it's about what, seven you, seven. Are you yeah. So when you're playing type character, what kind of what kind of manager were you? Were you like Brendan McCullum for England or what in the game? Yeah. I haven't reached that far in the career. <laughs> 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 to be picked by me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah when, yeah when people are playing like when you're on i mean excuse my ignorance and all this on twitch when you're playing playing the game yeah do people just do they play against you do they just sit and watch you playing is that what's the <laughs> what is the draw of i don't know i don't know i don't know what the draw is i do go why are we all doing this but I, the draw is hopefully you create a, a little community of like-minded people with the same sense of humor and and people just like coming together and i honestly i watch tv now and i go where's the where's the chat box why am i watching this tv show <laughs> there should be a chat box because the the whole fun of it is the community and people coming and they used to you used to sort of have it on twitter if you had a live event tv show like yeah. x factor and most of the time, you'd just be looking at what yeah. people would say. So I feel like Twitch is like that. I see. But it's really... going to stage beyond that, beyond just sending a message on Twitter. You can actually see people's reactions, hear their reactions, and and you're having well, a bit I... of a laugh at the same time. I keep telling people this. It sounds a bit ludicrous. It probably won't happen. But I was told by someone who knows more than me that Amazon are potentially going to buy a lot of our cinemas and turn them into esports arenas where wow. you two will pay 15 pounds to come and watch me play cricket <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you're interested the world's gone mad I yeah went, when I was at the commonwealth games because my day job is a sports journalist i went to the yeah. games in birmingham and they had esports on as like a as a sort of trial event a demonstration event i went to that and it's unbelievable how many people were in the stands it was at sort of i don't know an indoor arena or somewhere somewhere along the waterfront in Birmingham it was amazing the what did you think um, what did you think I thought it was amazing because they were playing this game I've now forgotten the name of it my 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 14 year old plays it's sort of like a it's a car racing game but with a football and you're pl- playing against each other but the, mm. the level their standard was unbelievable I'm not saying my mm. son's crap or whatever but you know he yeah. seems he's chatting away to his mate seems like he's doing pretty well but these these you know, they were kind of late teens, I guess, were just absolutely unbelievable how good yeah. they were. It felt a bit weird, and I don't know whether that was my fault because I'm not used to this, but suddenly I was sitting in this sporting arena at this multi-sport games watching people playing computer games on a big screen, but I think it's here to stay, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, my my son told me about all this six, seven years ago. He said, he's like, oh, Dad, what's he doing? Oh, he's watching someone play. Why is he doing that? Well, it's the next big thing. Is it? Right, whatever. <laughs> and then seven years later, I'm... I'm, I'm doing it as well. <laughs> My kids will sit and watch YouTube videos of yeah. some little kid in America playing Roblox. Yeah. And they'll sit just for hours watching someone else playing. And and do you know what? Because you think, well, you either say, oh, you're not doing that. Come on, do something outside. Or, and of course, you want to get them out and get them fresh air as well. Yeah. But if they choose, you know, well, fair enough. Respect their choices. Let them have a little yeah. half hour. And you sit, so I sit down with them to try and 
understand what it is they're doing and make sure that they're watching something appropriate. Yeah. And you, you get drawn into it. Yeah. Well, look oh, at me. Uh, I mean, you know, genuinely, it's... if you saw, look at me here. <laughs> I, so I, I did a little bit of, um, the only the only gaming I've done has been driving. So I do a bit of motorsport now as a hobby. And oh. a lot of that, you, you do online racing or you do simulator work to prepare before before a race to learn a new track or whatever. And it's, there's like Nissan and the GT Academy, they were the first people to, to bring complete non-driving amateurs, kids who are, you know, 17, 18, who were very, very good on the games yeah. into the, re the real world racing cars. And then they eventually got onto the podium at Le Mans at the 24 hour race, having never driven a race car in their life within, this, within the space of like two years. It's like, wow. I mean, the, 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 the games are so accurate that right. if you can drive well with a steering wheel and with the pedals yeah. in your living room or wherever, then it, it does translate onto the track. So it yeah, it's, it's incredible. Were they, were they immediately pretty good or surprisingly good as they went from like a simulator to the actual racetrack? Yeah, the, the one thing that the, they'd found was they were sort of travel sick. They had that nausea from uh, you know, the, 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 the G-forces. So they could they were the breaking points, the turning points, the balance of the car, the way they handled it was, was amazing straight away. But yeah. they just couldn't handle the, the viciousness, the ferocity of that. When you slam the brakes as hard as you can, coming into you know the end of a long straight, your your whole body, your internal organs are all getting kind of moved around. Yeah. And they were getting out of the car and being sick. But yeah. um, it doesn't take long to get used to it. But it was it was incredible how fast they were mm. straight out of the blocks. Well, I remember when I played the cricket game, I there was something about it. I thought this feels sort of lifelike in a way, it's sort of a satisfying hitting a four or getting a I mean, they're clever people, these computer game mm. developers. But yeah, yeah, it's a strange thing to do. I don't, I don't want to sort of think about it too much in case it all unravels. And <laughs> are you still playing it now, David? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, if you like, if you like esports, we'll get you into Zwift. Have you heard of Zwift? No, it's um, it's cycling. It's a virtual cycling platform that you can you can basically train on in your home trainer, and you can explore different worlds you can meet up with people you can ride together it's it it's, it's where do you do this where do you do this just anywhere so you've got a, a, a static bike you can put your bike onto a little machine yeah. that links up to your ipad or your tv or whatever and and you can do solo rides you can plan your training you can have there's there's like a world championship like a a zwift world wow. championship and ultimately they're, they're pushing to try and get into the olympics long term which they, and they were i'm sure they will as well yeah. well yeah i mean it's it's yeah it's heading that way and it's to me it's i was skeptical like yeah. anything i was skeptical till i tried it and actually it's really engaging and you end up mm. like in a longer training session or ride than you would have done if you were just sitting in an empty garage by yourself riding on your static bike yeah middle of winter when it's miserable yeah. outside or dark outside but it's yeah it's it, it's bringing new people in it's more accessible and yeah it seems to be working so you you're connected with other people and competing yeah you can compete yeah. you can just go for a ride you could turn that's up. what it is isn't it it's just bringing people yeah. together in another yeah. way and yeah. yeah we do these charity rides through through january every sunday and we're getting you know a thousand people turning up at the same time massive big bunch of riders while you're riding you can do uh, discord or whatever you can chat yeah or you can just send messages um you know text messages and it's it's just a really yeah you feel like you're part of a community like yeah. you were saying as well, yeah. and and ultimately you end up spending more time doing more exercise than you would if you were by yourself. Yeah, and it's more fun. And also, is it cool for the people going on going, "Hey, I'm having a bike ride with Chris Hoy"? Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great because you see all these different people in the bunch. The very first time I logged on, I saw one of my old teammates, my Mark Cavendish, and I was, I was like, "Yeah, it was Mark Cavendish." Hey, Mark, it's like Cap. <laughs> so final next to him, and and, uh, yeah. and it's you know, it's it's just a. You know, an avatar on the screen, but you feel like you're you're right next to them and you're chatting Completely. away. Completely, yeah. And and it's yeah, it's it's funny how the the brain works. We are we are we're social creatures. We want to be even if you're, you know, on a, the other side of the world, you want to be involved with other folk and, and doing it together. Yeah. I genuinely feel that with TV now. I kind of go, feels it feels like it's missing something now. It feels a bit mm. dated. Mm. Yeah, Where's particularly that? when you when you when it's not live, when you're just doing it on demand. Mm. Mm. You want to, you want to, and, you know, like after watching Brian and Charles or, you know, a film that you've enjoyed, you want to then go and talk to other people about yeah. it or see what they're saying about it and engage with other folk. It's, and it's nice watching those films and whatever in, in um, cinemas and with other people and experiencing it together. And yeah. Yeah. I played the Tour de France on my computer. Do you? Yeah. I've, I've I did never, last I've, summer. 
What's the gig? Well, is that? Is really? it? I, honestly, I was just like that, just holding down two buttons for three hours. I was like, "Is this how you play it?" Yeah. Okay. Uh, see, I, I remember, <laughs> remember Daley Thompson's decathlon oh, on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was nothing like that. You literally right. just going like that for three hours. Everyone's going even... fast forward it. I don't want to fast forward it. I, just want to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's probably more exciting than riding than the Tour de France. It's just, you know, that yeah. for these long stages, these guys, it's just relentless. You know, you, yeah. you sit and you ride and you ride and ride, and then there'll be a flurry of activity, and then it gets that's you know, exactly exciting it. towards the end. But yeah, some of the flat stages, it's just, yeah, let's get, skip to the good bit. you're going to be in awe of them, but particularly sports. So I became a sports journalist because effectively I was a failed sportsman. You know, I'd, I'd love right. to have been better. I'd love to have, like Chris done an Olympics mm. or whatever, but instead I wrote about it. So I get to see these amazing feats. Yeah. I was, see, I was sitting in the stands when Chris did his heroics at London 2012, mm. things like that. I, I still never tired of that, like watching and writing about Andy Murray the other day, winning a first round, you know, Australian Open on the on the TV. That I'm still in awe of. You know that he can yeah. do that, and his body's sort of falling apart, and he still does that. I just I love stuff like that. Yeah, and thankfully that's never worn thin. And I think if it did, then I would no longer be doing the be able to do the job I do. But I, yeah, still still super impressed. Yeah, yeah, me me too. But I think more, I think it's the guys that you were that were your heroes when you were growing up. They will mm. all stand above, no matter, you know, you get these amazing, That's incredible true, current yeah. performers now who you'll mm. be in all of their performance. But there's something about your heroes when you're growing up, you know, mm. from Gavin Hastings, rugby player for Scotland, Scotland captain, uh, Graham O'Bree, Scottish cyclist, you know, hundreds of different sports. I used to watch all kinds of sports. And when you're a kid, they just, your heroes, you imagine they're like seven foot tall and they're just, they, yeah. they are like superheroes, but minus the capes. And yeah. You know, I, so I, I'm part of this um, charity called Laureus, and it's um, there's an academy that goes with it, and it's there's retired sports people get invited to join it. There's about 70 people on the academy, and I got invited to join back in 2018, I think it was, and the first they have an annual meeting, and the flight out to Berlin was delayed. I arrived, you know, about half an hour late. Came into this meeting once it had started, and kind of sat down and just looked around the room, and I hadn't really. I hadn't really gathered just how amazing the group of people was. It was just, it was, I looked around Mark Spitz, Ed Moses, Martina Navratilova. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, Tony Hawk, you know, just absolutely, you know, your, your Daley Thompson, Steve Redgrave, just absolutely, um, even people like, and on the way there, the most embarrassing thing was on the way there, um, there was like a, a little mini bus with, you know, the sign for Laureus. And, and there was a, an, another lady that was waiting to get on this queue. And, and I sort of started chatting to her and she said, um, oh, hi, I'm Chris. Oh, I'm Nadia. Nice to meet you. Started chatting. Are you going Are you going to the Laureus event too? Oh, great. Yeah. And we had this little chat for a while and then got there. 
and sort of walked in and realised that it was it was Nadia Comaneci, you know, the Olympic, the yeah. first ever perfect ten um, Olympic gold medalist, and and I was just like, how? I mean, I guess she does look quite different now to when she <laughs> she got the Olympic yeah. gold medal, um, but that's the kind of person that I'm just still like. I remember walking down the corridor at the hotel and, and Martina Navratilova saying, "Hi, Chris," and I was like, "All right, Martina," <laughs> walking past going. Oh my God! He knows who I am. You know, it's yeah. It's, and I think you you never grow out of that hero worshiping of your of your, no. your childhood heroes. Well, but, when when we interviewed Steve Davis on Chatterbox, I was coming of I was like, "Why are you talking to me? Why are you <laughs> why are you on the Zoom with me? Why aren't you doing something?" I just couldn't believe I was talking to him because I sort of pretended to be him for a, for a summer when I was about ten or eleven, <laughs> playing in my garage and. Yeah, they are like superhumans. Yeah, Steve, Steve Davis, though. I mean, I remember that that final was it eighty five. Dennis Taylor, mm. Steve Davis, that world final, just epic. And and being, you know, I, I'm not allowed to stay up to watch. Oh, we've got to stay up. I can't. I can't go to bed now, even though it was only what nine or ten at the time. Being allowed yeah. to stay up to watch this epic final and that, yeah. that final black ball. I mean, it was just yeah, things that stick with you forever. Yeah. And even though I wasn't a snooker player, I was an avid fan. After that, it was it was just incredible. I think I sort of because I've started following a local. I've started following Exeter City because I wanted to go to local uh, to uh, live matches. I sort of get that now, just with League One footballers. I just love watching people do things that I can't do, and I just find it amazing. And they're League One. I'm just oh, you know, how you can pass it straight. Yeah, it's just really exciting. Yeah. So if you if you could have been if you could have been a professional athlete in any sport, what would that have been? I think it would have been cricket. Yeah, yeah. And what's I what's the ultimate in cricket? If you you know, is it winning the Ashes? Is it winning the World Cup? Is what's what is the, the... for me? It would be averaging forty five in Test cricket, just, just <laughs> <laughs> guaranteed to get seventy eight or something every couple of matches. Wow, <laughs> David. When you were growing up, you're similar age to me. England weren't always very good at cricket there were some good moments and then there was a very big barren spell I don't know I, I used to find the summer slightly soul destroying as we would get absolutely trounced by Australia in the ashes or whatever it was but did you did you have that experience and did you have like a cricketing idol as well or was there not someone you looked yeah up? Viv Richards oh right okay I, I absolutely love I wanted to be Viv Richards yeah and the, the opposite of that I did no no disrespect to him but I didn't want to be Derek Pringle there was something about Derek Pringle used to do my head in. I think he always used to sort of take two wickets for 140 when I, yeah. So it was, no, it was, it was Viv Richards, yeah. I can't believe how massive cricket is. When I travel around the world and you go to different parts of the world, like Australia, we used to train in Australia a lot, and it's it, cricket gets way more coverage than it does in the UK. Like during the Ashes, it's all you hear about, front page every yeah. day. People in the street top when they hear your accent, they assume well, they assume you're assume you're a pommy and therefore want to tell you about how rubbish your cricket team is and how you're gonna they're gonna yeah. smash you and all this stuff. But it's yeah, it's a massive sport. And I was with um with Laureus again, I was with Steve Waugh recently doing a, a an event out oh, in, wow. in Abu Dhabi, amazing guy. And he's he talks about how he gets recognized more in India, in Pakistan, or anywhere in these parts of the world where cricket is like religion. You know, yeah. in Australia, he'll get stopped every now and again for a photograph and someone to say hello. But he says he goes to if he goes to India, travels anywhere in that part of the world. Yeah, he, he said it's like he's David Beckham, and he gets you know he gets stopped because crazy cricket is, cricket is everything out there. It's yeah. just so big. Yeah, it is. Um, Matt, you haven't you haven't ever done the Boxing Day test, have you? No, yeah. never. I've, I've I've watched often watched on TV, but the atmosphere looks oh, unbelievable, doesn't it? Yeah. Always, yeah, uh, I just wondered if you'd ever actually because isn't it like a hundred thousand people? And yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible. I'd like wow. to do that. My cricketing wish list would be that, and, and for some reason, I've always wanted to do a whole uh West Indies cricket tour. Ooh. Just imagine. Well, that. I did that on Twitch, so you missed out there. <laughs> How did you Twitch. get on? Yeah. Is it a success? We won three one. Ah. We won three uh, one. Congratulations. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I just think yeah, that'd be an incredible yeah, that... experience to follow that round in the in the Caribbean. Um, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Is there, any, is there any sport you don't like or that you think is faintly ridiculous? Or as sports I don't understand. I mean, here's one that I did not understand, and now it's I absolutely love it, and it's happened in the last twelve months. Is uh, American football, and mm. 
I didn't have a clue about it. I didn't understand it and didn't give it any time. And then again, I bring it up, but I had a go on Twitch and I learned the game through the computer game. And now, now I've got an NFL game pass. Not that my wife knows, but I have. <laughs> and uh, I love it. I really, I don't know if you like it. So or... I, I never used to be into it, but now every Monday I go on the BBC Sport website and they normally have the highlights from the weekend's games. It's yeah. like sort of four or five minute best plays. I find that hypnotic, you know, seeing these sort of superhuman feats and it's like five, ten best moments from that. That's great watch. Oh, uh, yeah, the to... more I learn about it, the just it feels like just like chess played by 21 stone men. <laughs> just... <laughs> It's just amazing. I used to watch yeah. it when I was a kid when it was on. Do you remember Channel 4 used to yeah. do it like a half hour program every week and they would give you the roundup of all the matches and in the days before the internet where you couldn't find out results whenever you wanted, you had to actually wait and, and see whether the Miami Dolphins had beaten the 49ers or whatever. And I was I was a massive Dan Marino fan, loved Miami Dolphins. Yeah, that was, yeah. I had a, even had one of the, the, the t-shirts, the jerseys, you know. Um, yeah. And yeah, I was. I, it's funny, isn't it? You get into a sport once you understand the rules, once you get the, oh. the nuances, then then it becomes it gets under your skin, and and you just you can't get enough of it. Well, it's making me think now. What what other sports do I not understand that I would love if I get to? So I'm kind of so rugby is one that I've never quite. I just don't quite know what's going on to appreciate it. So that's one I really feel like I could get into. I'm trying to think of other sports. Rugby is brilliant. Um, the, the rule book is too too long, though, isn't it? I mean, it's just so for, for someone to mm. a novice to get to grips with it. There's just so many things to explain. But I absolutely, I mean, yeah. there for me, I think it is for you, Chris, as well, isn't it? Yeah, I love rugby. Um, again, but look, I think any sport that has any confusing rules, that's that's the barrier that stops people immediately engaging. Even track cycling, a lot of the the races in the velodrome, the longer races, yeah. there's. It's not that complicated, but it's it, until you explain it to the viewer who've never seen it before, exactly what's going on, what is the objective, who's winning this race, how do you win, you know, what what is the point of this? Then it's just a bunch of guys right riding round in circles, and it's yeah. Like the Madison is a race where it's like a relay between two two riders and one team, but there could be forty guys on the track, twenty teams. So you use a little hand sling, you sling your partner in, and they're live, they're racing, and then when they get tired, they kind of grab you and swing sling you back in. Bit like sort of yeah. tag team wrestling and so in theory it's quite a straightforward thing but it's just chaotic and the worst yeah. thing is tv producers don't really know what's going on either so they're, they're they don't know what to who's at the front of the race what's going on <laughs> yeah yeah you get points as you go as well so it's not just the first team to cross the line wins there's every 10 laps or every 20 laps you get there's a sprint and the top four teams get points and then that adds to your tally but if you yeah. lap the field you get extra points and it, so it gets a bit confusing to say the least but yeah I think yeah. I, there's almost that kind of badge of honor. Once you understand the rules in a sport, once you kind of get get into it, oh yeah, it's like wow, I you know this is this is like a special. It's like comedy when you discover a, a comedian or a show that you really enjoy that isn't the mainstream, that isn't something that everybody it's watches. True, yeah, you're like, yeah, I've got this. It's it's pretty cool, and I understand it. And I'm in this little niche club. And um, Do you know yeah, what? You're right. Now I feel that about American football. It just suddenly dawned on me when I say to people, "Do you know American? Do you understand it?" No, I don't really. Do you not? All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel a bit like that. I do. I understand 85%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And then when everyone starts yeah. watching it, you go, yeah, I enjoyed it before you guys. Before it was cool. Yeah, yeah, before yeah. Before it's become popular. I used yeah. to watch this when yeah. no one liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can, I ask, can, I ask, can I ask a question? Of course. Is that cheeky? No. Um, how did you win a gold medal? What was it about you that meant I, that's, you... that's a good good question. I, I I wasn't the kind of child you'd have picked out. So I, I started racing BMX when I was seven. I watched the film E.T. That was what gave me the inspiration to, yeah. to start riding a oh, bike. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I saw a BMX bike for the first time. Mm. That was it. And then, yeah, I, I wasn't the best. I wasn't a kid you'd have picked out as a future champion. But I, I guess... I just enjoyed it and I kept going and, and what I age, sorry, what age was this when I was you seven when I started interest? eight when I started racing BMX? Did that till I was fourteen? And so did I was, you I think I'm asking because of my children, but did you at eight say, I want to race, I want to compete? Or was it your parents going, Do you fancy it? Or yes, I I, I was very competitive and I I, I enjoyed I say enjoyed the racing. I enjoyed it afterwards. I used to get really nervous before the race. I used to get quite stressed about it. And you know, minutes before you're about to go out and race, 
I would be having second thoughts and I, I don't know if I want to do this. But I never felt any pressure. My, the way that my parents treated it, they, they gave me opportunities. They gave me the chance to do the stuff that I, I love doing, but they never pushed. But I wonder, yeah. you know, because I had that drive, to, I really wanted to do it. And I loved, you know, any spare time I'd be out on my bike. And I would always ask if we could go to this race. I heard there's a race in Glasgow, a race in Inverness or wherever. Can we go to that next week? And well, we'll see if we've got time. And But my parents always made time, but they were never pushing. But I think that the yeah. difficult point came in my teens where mm. I'd been racing for seven years. I was, you know, 14 years old. I wasn't enjoying it as much. And it was like, I, I don't really enjoy this anymore. I, I don't want to do it anymore. And instead of saying, you're, you're going to do it because we've paid all this money and we've, you know, we've got you know, all your kit and you've, mm. you're doing well. And if you keep one for another two years, you might be able to get a contract and start doing the. It was like, well, there's no point in doing it if you're not enjoying it. You know, why don't you try something else instead? And that's when I started doing mountain biking. And then I joined the cycling club. And then I, the cycling club met at the velodrome every, every Friday. Oh. So I thought, oh, I'll have a shot of, you know, this looks fun. I'll have a shot of this. And so I found it by accident. And it wasn't, it wasn't a eureka moment. It wasn't this, this kind of realization, this is what I'm going to do. It was just, this is quite good fun. And most importantly, the social side of it, the, the friends that you make are what make yeah. you, they keep bringing you back. If you're doing it just on your yeah. own or you don't like the people, then it, you know, oh. it, it's, it's such a big part of it. So it's got to be for kids. Like for my, my son's eight, I've got a daughter and a son, five and eight. But my son's eight, and he's he's trying to find something that he enjoys sporting wise. He's he's not he plays a bit of football, doesn't really like it. Did taekwondo for a while, kind of got to the next level, and he's he's kind of not enjoying it as much, so he's not doing that anymore. It, I think it's just it's finding a, a good group of friends that you that you really you look forward to seeing them as much as doing the activity, and that gets you through. Yeah. And then beyond that, it's it's a lottery. Some. I, I just I don't think it's always the kid that stands out when they're eight, nine, ten years of age that goes on no. that go on to become champions or play for their country. Um, you've you've got to have something, and it's not just about like the word talent. And to me, is always it it it, it makes you feel, it gives you connotations that it's there's no hard work involved. It's just you just turn up and you're brilliant at it. You don't have to put any work mm. in. But even mm. you saying, oh, I had to train, you know, like a maniac every single day just to 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 be the best. Yeah, but. How come you won it though? Like you can be very, very, uh, yeah. very, very good. Yeah. How did yeah. you win it? Because everybody in that Olympic final had trained very hard, had had supportive parents, had had the right opportunities, had the right equipment, had a federation with coaches and facilities. So yeah, it's a question. It's very hard to answer. I think. Um, Were you just better you, on the day? Like on the, yeah, another well, day, and yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of it does come down to psychology and to, yeah. to how you how you behave on a daily basis, but also how you cope with with that that moment. And for me, just sliding doors moments, meeting the right people, having the right people around you. Mm. For me, Steve Peters, um, our team psychologist, an absolutely incredible man who's written various books, the the Chimp Paradox, um, mm. has changed many people's lives. He sold millions of copies, but he. He was our psychologist and he came on the team when I was about 26, 27. And I really didn't engage with him because back in the early 2000s to have a psychologist in the team was like, there was, there was the, the sort of ego thing of, well, I don't want to speak to a psychologist. That shows that I'm mentally yeah. weak. I don't need that. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and it yeah. was ridiculous, but it's, that's obviously all changed now. But Steve made a huge, huge difference to me and, and helped me plan for how you're going to think and how you're going to deal with distractions and anxiety and stress and, and nerves before a race and how you can how you can use them to your advantage and how you can you know address all those worries and fears before but and it's the skills that he's he's equipped me with you can apply it to daily life and, and to you know life beyond the track and it's and it's only when you retire from sport and you realize there's much more important things in the world when you're doing it it feels like it's Life oh my death. god! I just, you know, I just cannot imagine being at that starting line. And when you're saying about being focused and dealing with the distractions, maybe negative thoughts, is, is it a battle in that moment on the starting line, or are you just so used to having? Once you get, once you're actually on the start line, you're about to go. It's almost like you're switching on an autopilot, yeah. and you, you kind of you're you're in your mm. comfort zone. The worst bit is the ten minutes before. Um, it feels a little bit like getting on before. stage. Oh, it must be. It's like I mean. That standing on stage i'm like oh it's fine it's just that leading up to shitting out yeah once you're up there you're like oh it is autopilot yeah because yeah it's yeah. it's it, the time before 
is where all the doubts start to creep in or they can creep in. Yeah. That's all the negative thoughts, all the what if this goes really badly? What if, you know, what's what if this, what if that? And and it's it's basically that emotional part of your brain is it's the fight or flight syndrome. It's it's what Steve calls the chimp. It's that um yeah, that emotional part of your brain that is stressed and is looking for answers and looking for a way out. So um, yeah. you know, and you you know, you talk about like like John McEnroe used to say that he only ever played his best tennis when he was angry when when he'd sort of something had happened and he lost his temper and then this this kind of wild animal came out and he played amazing tennis and yeah of course there were many examples of him winning big tournaments big matches when he had that real anger and he'd smashed a racket and then the, the kind of wild man came out but equally the number of times that he lost matches when that had happened too he sort of forget about the the losses and focus on the oh that, yeah that was an amazing yeah. final but so the chimp can be very unpredictable and you have this, you, you don't know which way it's going to react or how it's going to behave. Whereas if you can go in and you can, you know, ad address all those nerves and all the anxiety and stress and negativity and worries and box it and cage it and put it over there and go, right, you know, press play on this sort of autopilot and be logical and, and know that you can, you can do this. You don't know if you're going to win. You can't guarantee a win. You can't guarantee mm. anything, but all you can guarantee is you're going to focus on, on your process of what you need to do. Um, yeah, and it sounds like that takes away all the emotion from sport, but it doesn't at all because in that moment you're you're kind of containing it. But then that's when you see the eruption of <clears throat> emotion at the finishing line or at the end of the match yeah. or whatever happens, and the, all the it all comes flooding out. And um, yeah, that's it. In a way, it's more it's more emotional when you've been containing it during that race or during the match. David, one of the things that Chris did, an event he used to excel at, was called the Kirin. I don't know if you've seen it, but they start behind like a little derny mo mo motorbike moped. And that goes around yeah. laps, and then it pulls off and it's a sprint. What is it? Last three laps, Chris? Yeah, three laps. Yeah. 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 And it was a sort of, that was always amazing because it didn't matter what training, but the tactical nails you needed to win a race and the different ways you could win a, win a race. So for all the preparation and stuff, that's a bit like talking about the NFL and the chess element. That felt like a game of yeah. high-speed chess. Mm, yeah. But Chris, you were so good at that, whether it would be leading for the front or, or picking whatever moment. Uh, but that just looks so stressful. It is stressful if you start thinking about all the different permutations about what can go right and go wrong. So it was, you know, you, you could, it's how you, it's like life. You can look at any situation from a number of different ways. But if you can just focus on, well, do you know what? I'm going to go out there. I've, I have done the, you know, you, you reassure yourself. I've done the training. So basically, your confidence comes from the preparation four years before, building up to it, knowing that mm. I can honestly say that I've done the best I can in every one of those sessions. So I couldn't have done more. I'm I'm physically ready. I'm not injured. I'm mentally ready. I can't guarantee I'm going to win this, but this is my game plan to play to my strengths. If I'm proactive, if I actually take the initiative and, and try and take control, it'll give me the best chance of, of winning. But at the heart of it, like Steve used to talk about perspective and sort of saying, well, do you know what? You're basically, you're riding bikes on a wooden track in anti-clockwise circles. You're not, this isn't life and yeah. death. Grow this up. You know, exactly, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it was like, yeah. I just go, this is ridiculous. I'm wearing a pointy hat. I've got, you know, wearing Lycra, wearing these clip-clop shoes, getting on a, a, you know, it's like, come on. this I'm isn't... sort of disappointed you weren't in that this morning, to be honest with you. Well, you know, yeah. actually, it's under here. But, yeah, it's, I think sport is ridiculous. If you look at any sport and you look at the oh, rules. It's, it's... It's nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Every, Again, every I, don't, I don't like pulling at that thread, otherwise my whole <laughs> world collapses. David, yeah. Would, you, yeah. would there be yeah. a sport you'd invent, a ludicrous sport you'd like to invent? Or, um, Oh, I don't know. It involved the sofa, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. A strategy sport. Sofa. <laughs> yeah, a strategy sport. I guess they're all on your phone, aren't they? I don't know. Well, that's a good question. They do say that the um, Brits are only good at sports that we sit down for. So rowing, sailing, cycling, that, you know, the Olympic sports, it's all the ones you're sat on your backside. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Something that involves yeah. a sofa. Yeah. I don't know. Six wheels on the sofa. Yeah. You could, yeah, a bit more sport. You could, you know. Yeah. It would involve, it'd have to involve the sofa not leaving the living room or the house <laughs> at all. So, yeah. No stress. And, uh, yeah. Oh, it's fascinating to talk to. You must every day go at some point during the day. I'm brilliant. I've got a gold medal. Yeah, tell us, man. What is it like? <laughs> I'm, I'm still holding out. I've, I've written about people's gold medals. That's it. Yeah. That is amazing. You must go. I'm a gold medal winner. 
You must. Uh, have a... Well, do you know what? You, you don't because it's just it feels like such a, it feels like a different lifetime ago. It was ten years that I retired from cycling. Right. But if I go to an event that they've asked me to bring along a medal, I was at one last week in in London, and I brought I took along my Athens medal, first Olympic gold medal. And it's quite an unassuming medal. All the, the modern, if you look at the, the games now, any of the Olympic games now or Paralympics or Winter Olympics, the medals are like like a dinner plate. They're massive. They've got bigger and bigger and bigger over the over the years. Like, well, we've got to, you know, ours has got to be bigger than the last one. And they're huge. But the, the Athens medal is very small, very quite unassuming. And it's just this little bit of metal on a bit of ribbon. And it's that's all it is. But it represents, like for me, becoming Olympic champion. So I had... I won Olympic yeah. Games after that, but that that moment that represents that moment where I went from not being an Olympic champion to being an Olympic yeah. champion, and that's you for the rest of your life. And it was, and it's it's it was my dream since I was fourteen, but it was a ridiculous dream. I never ever I never imagined it would ever happen. I wasn't one of these kids you'd think, well, I'm, that's my goal, and I'm going to get there, and it's 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 written in the stars. No, it was it was a ridiculous thing to imagine. But but at fourteen, you must. You must have been winning lots of races to give you confidence to just, and it just built and built and built. You must have been very, very was, talented at that age. Well, I, I was good, but I wasn't the best. I think that was the key. I was, I was close right. enough to the sharp end that I was encouraged by it and I was getting opportunity. Yeah. But to keep the, training and yeah, trying. The, yeah. I don't know, but you know, you're talking about playing cricket when you're 12 and up against guys, you know, basically grown men. It was the same yeah. in any sport. You know, you hit that age. And, you know, I remember BMX, there was a Dutch guy they called The Beast who was six foot three and he was 13 and he had a moustache. And, you know, you're sitting there on the start line looking up at him <laughs> thinking, well, I'm racing for second yeah. at best here, you know. And so it's uh, the, the guys. Where's who he win, now, I wonder? I wonder well, where well, he well, is. Well, they, yeah, it's yeah. A good, because the <laughs> yeah. kids who win or the team, I used to yeah. play rugby against teams that always be one massive kid in the other team yeah. who would just, once he got the ball, he just, just bulldozed through the middle. He'd score a try. They'd run back, yeah. he'd catch the ball off the kickoff and do it again. Just you know, and, and you think, well, he's gonna play for Scotland. But in reality, he just yeah. grew early, got used to being the star. And then when he got to a point where everyone else caught up, he didn't enjoy not being the star or not winning the races or whatever it was they were yeah. doing. And that and real, realized that actually the joy I took from sport was from from winning and from being the best, not from the joy of playing the sport. And and if you haven't mm. been that kid and you have had to work really hard to learn the techniques and the the tactics and to to train hard to make up for your lack of physical size i think once you grow once you fill out then you've got an extra bit of uh you know talent or not talent but extra you've got more in your armory mm. to compete with yeah thinking back now to those sussex cricket days and not quite being you know the top five six batsmen or whatever you just needed some inner strength i just don't think i had it I was like, I can't, this is too stressful. I could, and, and I sort of, rather than grow, I think I shrunk. Yeah. So what was it about, was it cricket, just the game itself that you enjoyed? Was it the, the did you enjoy, although it was, I mean, like being a comedian, as you were saying, that perverse enjoyment of putting yourself in a stressful situation and choosing it to do it. Yeah. Opening the batting against their fastest, probably best bowlers is a really stressful situation. And one mistake usually batting means you're back in the pavilion. So it's that thrill of just, if you do succeed, it's an amazing feeling. But yeah, I just found it too stressful. And comparing at that age, 12, 13, 14, it's mm. just, yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. That's one of my favourite yeah. quotes, Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, you, as they say, the only person you've got to beat is yourself yesterday. Be better mm. than you were yesterday in whatever mm. way, in a tiny increment, just try and be better than you were do a better job than you did yesterday and yeah. not, not worry about everyone else and compare yourself to them. Yeah. But sadly, that's what it's all about. This, <laughs> I need to let go of this cricket problem. Thank you. We've drawn it to the surface now. <laughs> oh, yeah, shit, oh, I've got a problem here. <laughs> um, yeah, David, I just want to say a big thanks for coming on. We've taken up more than an hour of your time, but it's been really nice. Oh, to thanks for having me. Uh, You've it's had quite been... a sporting journey as it happens, both both reality and online. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much, much, David. Thanks for having me. It's been, uh, yeah, it, it's our first ever podcast. So to have you as our guest, it was um, an absolute honour. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go and, I might go and have a little uh, look of, you know, search out Twitch and have a little... No, don't. Honestly, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't. 
I can't wait. Yeah. I'm going to try. And, I'm going to get Callum one of the, the cricket games. See if they can get the yeah. uh, the England manager to come out. Yeah. See, good luck. See your star and role. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. And good luck with the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, David, and good luck with all the other projects, and maybe Brian and Charles too. Thank yeah. you. Fingers crossed. Cheers, guys. Cheers, David. Take Bye. care. See you. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.